Ciao. Ni hao. Yasu. Bonjour. Guten tag. My name is Lydia, and I'm your host of the Global Travel Junkie podcast, where we'll discover new luxury destinations and experiences together. So let's get started and meet today's guest. Hello, everyone. It's Lydia with the Global Travel Junkie podcast and YouTube channel. And today, I always say this, I always say I'm so excited to introduce you to our next guest, but it's true. I say that because it's so true. And today, you guys, we're going to go to the Galapagos Islands and Patagonia, and we're here with Fernando Diaz to take us on that journey through this podcast. And so let's go ahead and welcome Fernando. Hi, Fernando. Hi, Lydia. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm so glad we were able to get connected. So tell us a little bit about yourself and Quasar to Expeditions. Perfect. Well, um, I've been working in this industry for about 17 years, um, but it actually started way before that. I, in addition to being the director of marketing for Quasar, I'm also the son of the founders. So my parents, the two of them started the company back in 1986. Um, and so as you can understand, you know, I grew up in this, in these places, mainly in the Galapagos. I'm originally from Ecuador. Oh, I was I'm wondering. Based, yeah. I'm based in Santiago de Chile now. Um, but all my life, uh, basically up until I was around 28 years old when I moved to Chile, um, I spent it in Ecuador and the Galapagos. And so, as you can understand, growing up in a place like this, even though we always had a choice, and I say we because I'm including my two brothers who also work in the company in different positions, we always had a choice as to what we wanted to do with our lives. Um, but it was like magnetic. And so we all ended up working at Quasar. Uh, I'm in the marketing department, my younger brother is in sales, and then my older brother is actually the president of the company. Um, and we really, really enjoy it. You know, we there's enormous satisfaction in treating people to adventures that they'll never forget in these wonderful destinations. And that's why, you know, I've been doing this for the past 17 years. This is what I see myself doing moving forward. And um, And I just think, everybody, you know, regardless of age, um, you know, physical abilities, interests, whatever, you just have to go to places like Galapagos and Patagonia. They are life-changing experiences. Yeah. Well, not only does it seem like a dream expedition and experience, but that sounds like a dream job to me. <laughs> it is. I, we really, really enjoy it. Great. So um, that's neat that all your brothers uh, decided to do it with you. So I know that it's um, definitely a family experience. And when you go to the website and, and I encourage everybody to do that and go watch the video that they have on there. I know y'all talk about even the guest, even the, um, the travelers who experience uh, a Quasar expedition also feel like family, right? That's the way they're treated. So I love that. So let's dive in. I want to give our listeners just a really great opportunity to understand what is Quasar about 
And why do y'all do all the things that you do do? Because I know you go the extra mile, not only for the customers or the clients, but for the planet. Let's talk about those kinds of things. Perfect. So as I said, you know, it all started, well, it actually started before 1986, which is when the company was founded. It started in 1969. My mother was, you know, just 16. Um, She had a really, you know, those professors or teachers that you have in school that really inspire you. She had one of those and it was a biology teacher who told them that there was a Navy ship going out from Guayaquil in mainland Ecuador out to the Galapagos once a week. That was the only way to get there, no flights yet. Um, and that you could actually go on the ship, stay there for a week, which is how long it would take them you know, to provide all the supplies to the few people that were inhabiting the islands. And you could see the Galapagos in an extremely different way to you know what you're able to see how you're able to see them today and so my mother with um, a group of friends went on this adventure 16 you can imagine my grandparents were not thrilled about this <laughs> and a navy <laughs> ship they they told us you know they would share a bathroom with um, you know all the crew that they had buckets you know there in case they got seasick and it was extremely hot because it was just a very very uncomfortable ship but that, you know, I think it was like a three-day voyage out to the islands was horrible. But then they got to this place that completely blew their minds. And so um, back then there were no guides, there were no trails. The Galapagos National Park had recently been established, but they weren't doing much. And so basically the Navy ship, while well, they did their operation, they um, took the girls down on the islands and said, you know, here's a bag of oranges, here's some water. We'll be back in about four hours to pick you guys up. Just roam freely. And you mean they left? They left. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so there are some photos that you can actually see on the website. Um, my mother, when she got to one of the landing sites, a uh, herd of iguanas just ran up to her and they were like, she was impressed just by that alone. And what happens was that the iguanas had gotten used to visitors feeding them the oranges so the oranges actually you know what attracted were, them. and the iguanas were crazy about them because the only way for them to get fresh water is to you know the the cactus the tunas to fall the prickly pear cactus um when that falls that's the only way they get fresh water in their system and so they have to wait for days under these cacti and all of a sudden there are these people with oranges and so that was her first impression and And then they went to these sweet oranges (laughs) yeah exactly and then they went to these beaches and the sea lions were there and the sea lions were not running away they were approaching them and the birds would not move from the trails well sorry there were no trails from the you know the places where they were were walking yeah and they saw a side of wildlife that they had never seen or experienced in their life and so that experience changed my mom forever and she re she decided then at the age of 16 that she needed to do something with the Galapagos. And so many years later, um, she met my father and she took him out to Galapagos. And my father was uh, an entrepreneur by nature. And they went on a very, very uncomfortable, large ship. Um, and they said, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way to see the Galapagos. And so Quasar was founded and it, you know, we pioneered 
high-end small ship cruising in the Galapagos. So the first yachts that were comfortable, that had air conditioning, that had you know good food and uh, a good crew, and great guides, and that's how you know Quasar actually started. And so that philosophy of this small group, very intimate travel, you know, as the means to see these wonderful places is what has transcended to these other destinations. And so not only are we a family company in the literal sense, right? Started by my two parents and then my brother is working there and we treat everybody like family. But when you have these small ships, you know, of 16, 32 guests at the most, it is like family and the crew are like your family and you're basically, you're a guest in our home and that's what how we make you feel. And so the crew is extremely friendly. Um, you can see in all the comments that people leave that they they say, you know, we felt like we were home. Uh, but of course, you know, with all the amenities and the fine service and the you know, high end accommodation. Better than they get at home, right? Yeah. You don't need to make your Unless bed. You don't need to... <laughs> so you have all these amazing comforts and extras that are part of like a luxury operation, but in the end, it's very, very laid back feeling. And I think people um the guests really become friends in the end and they they enjoy the places like, you know, as with their family. So that's the Quasar experience. And that's, a you know, where the company I think is successful today is because people look for those sort of um, unique, more intimate experience in these remote destinations. Yeah. So uh, we just dove in. So I'm going to just do a little bit of... Um, making a few assumptions for the listeners, because, you know, listeners can come across a podcast and just start listening and they may not even know what we're talking about. So let me just do some little basics and you tell me if I'm wrong or not, but basically the Galapagos is about 900 to a thousand kilometers um, in the Pacific ocean down in the bottom of South America in the closest um, country is Ecuador and right is that am I correct yes the Galapagos Islands belong to Ecuador they're okay. right on the equator um so it's like that's what I was going to ask you the, how the far is South the America. equator yeah yeah so they're right on the equator actually in some of the crossings we take people to the bridge to actually see on the GPS the zero 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 latitude that's um and so um they belong to the country of Ecuador. And I think one of the things that Ecuador has done really, really well, you know, despite the fact that it's a third world country and it has all the problems of, you know, third world countries, the Galapagos National Park and the way Ecuador has preserved the Galapagos is fantastic. And so to get to Galapagos, unfortunately, there are no international flights directly to Galapagos. So you have to fly first to the capital city of Quito in Ecuador, or to the coastal city of Guayaquil, those are the two international airports, okay. and then take a connecting flight. So for most people, it means arriving at least a day before their cruise starts so that they can take the early flight out to the islands and join the cruise. Um, but most of our guests actually arrive several days earlier because exploring mainland Ecuador also has its amazing benefits. You know, you have the Amazon jungle, you have the Andes Highlands, and so, there's just a lot to do aside from the Galapagos in Ecuador. And I was uh, do, in my research, I was uh, seeing that there's like two air, airports um, for the Galapagos Islands when you're flying in. And which one are the expeditions closest to? 
Perfect. So actually our expeditions start in one and end in the other. Okay. And so we take care of the flights for guests. They don't have to worry about that part. But you normally start on Baltra Island and end in San Cristobal Island or vice versa. Okay. And we do that so that we don't have to navigate all the way back, you know, to the same airport and just, you know, spend that day navigating just, yeah, wasting you know, for time. logistics. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, our itineraries are set up in a way that we start in one and then in the other. Yeah. And do y'all pick up a new tour group on the next one? So y'all yep. organize it that way. So you've always got somebody you're taking in one direction or the other. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Great. So I had a question. Oh, are the planes from the Ecuador, you know, once you get in the international airport and then you go onto the plane, are these like little puddle jumpers or how big are the planes that go into the islands? Yeah. So no, they're, um, if you're familiar with airplane models, normally they're the um, Airbus, the A319s wow. and A320s. So okay. these are, for 150 passengers. So there's plenty of space. Big. Yeah. yeah. These are, yeah. they're, they're, they're not obviously the huge planes, but yeah, all the, all the comforts and they're like the normal planes with turbines are not the propeller engines. And so yeah, like with most domestic flights inside of the United States, it's same planes. This was a question I had, and, and then we're going to get deeper into your stuff, but like, it, 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 I saw on your website, there was like a little, um, like a disability symbol, like for like a wheelchair type symbol. Can people who are, you know, in wheelchairs, like someone who's elderly, can, can they go on a trip like this or is it challenging on the boat? Um, so we have had, uh, and we actually have not, not too many, but uh, a few guests that come, you know, in a wheelchair every year. Um, it is not easy to disembark in many of these places. Um, we had, for example, an um, Paralympian, his name is Chris Waddell. And he, but obviously, you know, as an Olympian, he actually did all the trails uh, by himself. He, <laughs> but that's normally an exception. Um, I do recommend that if somebody, you know, is in a wheelchair, probably the larger boats are better in that More accommodating. Respect. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, but in general, most of the landing sites in Galapagos do require you to disembark on uneven terrain in, you know, wet landings right on beaches. So it's, it's unfortunately not as easy, yeah. but we do welcome disabled people um, every year. Yeah. Um, and it just depends on, on the condition, you know, that how much they can see and do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it may be like a group, a family, and there's maybe one person that they need to consider whether or not they'd be able to go or not. That's the only reason why I asked. So let's go into um, a little bit deeper. Let's start with the Galapagos. We've talked about the the getting on, you know, the boat. What kind of happens when we embark on the boat and how many how many days are we on this trip and where are we sleeping? And I want to, is this a day trip? <laughs> Perfect. So that's a great question. Um, did I freeze for a bit? Oh, there we no, go. no, you're here. Um, it's a great question. And it's actually, Lydia, one of the most common mistakes made by first time Galapagos travelers is not uh -huh. leaving enough time to actually see the island. So, most people, when they think of cruising, you know, maybe a four-day cruise in the Bahamas. So let's do a four-day cruise in Galapagos. So they're 
a few considerations there. First of all, you know, the day you get to Galapagos and you board the ship and the day you actually disembark and return to the mainland, those days are mainly spent traveling. So for example, if you do one of the four night cruises, essentially it's only two days in Galapagos. So making it all the way down to Ecuador and South America and then to Galapagos just to spend two days in the islands for me is a terrible, terrible mistake. Of course, um, the shorter cruise cruises are less expensive. So if budget is really an issue, you know, then yes, of course, rather than not seeing the Galapagos, do see them, you know, in a four-night cruise. But Quasar, for example, we only offer seven and 14-night cruises. Wonderful. Um, yeah. And, and it, it basically was sort of like a coincidence. You know, when Quasar started, there was only one flight out to the islands. And this flight was once a week. So the cruises were coordinated around this one flight and it was one week cruises. And we found out over the course of the years that that was actually the ideal duration. Like in one week, you could see a lot of what the Galapagos has to offer. Now, for people who have more time and greater budget, the back-to-back -back trips uh, with Quasar, those are the recommended, the 14-night cruises because you don't, um, sorry, let me backtrack a bit. There's a law in the Galapagos National Park that you can't visit the same visitor site, but every 15 days. So our two itineraries are very different from one another. The itineraries repeat every 15 days. So for somebody that comes in 15 days, it's not the same itinerary twice. It's two totally different itineraries that then repeat themselves every 15 days. So they'll see sense. different places in those 15 days. They never go to the same stop. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And so we call that the ultimate Galapagos experience. Um, under, and we understand, you know, not everybody has, you know, 14 nights to spend on a cruise or, or perhaps a budget. But if you do, definitely that's the recommendation. Um, and what you do in that week, Lydia, is you, you know, when guests disembark, they can't, they never imagined that they would pack so much adventure in one week. And these are expedition cruising cruises, right? There is a very important distinction to be made with the regular cruises where you spend a lot of time on the boat, eating and onboard entertainment. That's not what expedition cruising is about in Galapagos. We're really only on the boats at nights, you know, traveling from one island to another. And so we don't spend, uh, we don't have guests spend their time on the boat in the day moving from one island to the next. The travel happens by night. And then during the day, basically to, you know, shower, siesta and meals. And that's about it. And the rest of the time we're, we're exploring, you know, we are doing walks and hikes around the islands. We're kayaking in mangroves and the shores. Uh, we're taking dinghy rides or pangas. These are the inflatable zodiacs. Um, to you know, see orcas feeding or explore mangroves and see the shark nurseries, um, or basically, you know, we're snorkeling, and that's the favorite activity of about ninety-five percent of the people who travel with us. The snorkeling Galapagos is absolutely amazing. It's a little different from what you get in the Caribbean, where there's a lot of tropical fish and you know, warm waters and just you know, coral. Small, yeah, yeah, a lot of coral. Galapagos is more about the bigger animals. So you'll snorkel with sea lions, you'll snorkel with sea turtles, penguins, the only penguins that actually live north of the equator in the world in Galapagos. Um, and 
because the Galapagos waters are very nutrient rich, they're often a little bit colder than what you get in the Caribbean, but we provide wetsuits to make it super comfortable. But snorkeling for anybody interested in the Galapagos is highly, highly recommended. And so if you've never snorkeled before, doing a little bit of training in a pool or actually in the beach um, really helps so that you can enjoy and maximize your time in this activity. I mean, there's a whole world under the sea, right? I mean, Indeed. my first um, snorkeling was like in Cozumel. And so there was a lot of coral and life and everything in uh, Mexico with turtles and things. So it's just a, when I did it the first time, this was 25 years ago uh, or 30 years ago, I was just like, oh, my goodness, there's so much life and activity under here that we have no idea unless you stick your head in the water and, and learn how to breathe through a tube so you can stay down there, right? So I highly encourage anyone, get it, get ready, like get prepared before you go because you want to do snorkeling, right, once yeah. you're there. Okay, so that's a wonderful, um, you know, overview. Um, well, we didn't talk about, so there's how many people, so you sleep on the um, boat, right, and how many you said 32 people max, but I'm sure that doesn't mean that's how much, you know, how many rooms and stuff you have on the boat. Right. So. so we have two yachts with a third yacht coming. Um, the Our largest yacht, the Evolution, is for 32 guests in 16 cabins. Okay. And you have different categories from the deluxe to the premium staterooms and then the suites. Yeah. Um, and then we have the Grace, which is even more intimate, only for 16 guests in nine cabins. Um, Grace yacht was actually, it's named after Grace Kelly because it was her yacht um, in the 1950s. Wow. Um, when she married Prince Rainier in what they called the wedding of the century back then, um, Prince Rainier was very good friends with Aristotle and Nassus. And he actually gifted the yacht to Prince Rainier when they married, because I, I guess that's what you do when you have that amount of money. And so <laughs> <When you can. laughs> the the yacht uh, belonged to the Principality of Monaco for about five, six years. And when Quasar acquired the yacht in 2009, um, it had had many names throughout its history. And we decided to take her back to what we felt were her most elegant and uh, the best times and so we named her grace after grace kelly i um, love that and there's a ton of history the yacht is full of photos of the princes aboard the yacht with the prince they honeymooned aboard that yacht. that's why it's also a great alternative for honeymooners we get a lot of honeymooners you know booking the grace kelly suite uh for a week-long adventure in the galapagos um so that yacht is a little different and then the evolution as i said which is a little larger it tends to be better for families too, a little bit more space, um, you know, than the Grace. The Grace with its classic lines has that classic hull. Um, and it's still a very spacious yet and a lot of outside space, especially to enjoy the wonderful weather of the Galapagos. Uh, but the evolution is a, a little bit larger. And so depending on your style of travel, um, you know, you could choose either yacht. But what I do recommend, you know, to anybody listening is, you know, the the largest ship size allowed to cruise the Galapagos is only a hundred guests, right? When you think about that, that's, you would consider that small ship cruising pretty much anywhere in the world, right? Most 
cruise ships that we're used to, 500, 1,000, 3,000 passengers. But in Galapagos, because it's such a fragile environment, because the wildlife, you know, is, is so sensitive um, to people that 100 passengers in a ship is the equivalent of, you know, 1,000 or 3,000 passengers disembarking in a port town in, in the Mediterranean, for example. And so um, even though, you know, the, the, the cruise companies that own these larger ships, they do call these small ship cruises, um, at least to us, they are too invasive. Um, the small ship cruising is the way to go. A small number of guests, a much lighter footprint, um, and, you know, you're really able to explore Galapagos as Darwin did, you know, many, many centuries ago, um, because that's the way the islands are meant to be experienced. Yeah, I feel like that's a good segue into the part of the beginning of the podcast when I said that y'all are responsible to the planet as well. So let's go ahead and talk. You're, you're talking about a smaller footprint. Let's help people understand people who aren't in a sustainability mindset or or the consciousness of um, hearing those types of terms like footprint. Let's go ahead and talk about how does Quasar um, give back to the planet by all the actions that you have to go above and beyond the typical behavior in order to be responsible with coming into an environment and leaving no let's just say footprint, you know, there when you leave, right? You, you take it all out with you, right? Exactly. Exactly. And we say, you know, um, take only photos and leave only footprints. Um, the responsibility that we have as a company, and, and today, I don't even think if the right term is a responsibility. It's kind of like, it's our job. I think it's the basics today to be a socially and environmentally responsible uh, company. The days of that being optional, I think are over. Um, and it's not only our job as the people who provide the tours and you know who own the ships to be a sustainable company. It's also the job of the traveler to choose a company that is sustainable, You know that is responsible with the environment and with the community because that's the only way that travel can be sustainable in the long term. That's the only way the communities, you know, will thrive, that the wildlife would be protected, the destinations will be protected. So I highly encourage anybody who travels that they put that all there, you know, great rooms, you know, great food. Yes, that's perfect. But also having a strong, sustainable uh, agenda you know, that has to be a requirement, you know, for the companies that you choose. Will you give us some questions to ask so that we ask the right questions when it comes to someone determining who they're going to work with? You know, like what are some of the questions we can ask that help us know that they are doing the sustainable thing? Exactly. Yeah. So one of the, I guess, maybe more, um, common questions to ask has to do with climate change, right? And so carbon offsetting, what does the company that you're going to travel with do in terms of carbon offsetting? Quasar is not 100% um, carbon-free operation. We're in that process, um, but we're very far along that process. We do offset the emissions of the engines of our yachts, which are the biggest producers 
of CO2. Um, we also offset the emissions of all our Jeeps in Patagonia plus the stay. We have reforestation programs both in Patagonia and in the Galapagos that not only help um, their native tree reforestation, so they not only help to restore these native um, tree forests in the destination, but they also help, of course, to produce, absorb a ton of CO2 from the air and produce a ton of oxygen. Um, and in addition to that, we work with a company called Tomorrow's Air. And what they do is, you know, most companies today work on carbon offsetting and carbon offsetting essentially is cleaning up for the mess we're making, right? But what about the mess that has been made for, you know, the last 100, 200, 300 years and all that carbon that's stuck in the atmosphere? Uh, Tomorrow's Air actually extracts that carbon and they, through these amazing, you know, cutting edge technologies, they convert it into compressed carbon and they bury it under the ground. And that is the way to really get rid of them. And so we support that um, company through the donations that our guests make. And for every dollar that our guests, you know, um, contribute, Quasar contributes also another dollar. So, for example, when you book a trip with Quasar, there is this, let's call it a sustainability fee, which is only about $50 for the whole trip. That helps to offset the emissions of your flights, of the ships, you know, to help with, um, um, you know, a company like Tomorrow's Air. And in addition, Quasar will put another fifty dollars, um, you know, to to really help the environment. So, so you'll match it. Exactly, we match it. So on the, at least on the carbon offsetting or the climate change front, that's what Quasar does. Um, and it's if every company would take that initiative, you know, the travel, which is a huge, huge um, contributor contributor exactly to the climate change problem you know the transportation and travel are huge but at the same time you know we are also uh, a huge contributors to the preservation of these destinations and people have you know they they will not protect what they don't know so they have to get there and so they're they have to take the transportation and the the airplanes and so the emissions so as long as you're a responsible traveler and you offset your emissions um you're good and they're you know websites like the carbon fund that you can actually calculate the emissions of your trip so even if you're traveling to a place that does not offer this you know as part of the trip you can just you know plug in your flights let them know what you will be doing if you're staying in a hotel for how many nights they, they calculate the emissions and then you just you know pay a small fee to offset your emissions and people are often surprised by how small the fee is to actually but when it accumulates right that's when we have a problem like we do today and so that's what we do on one front. And then, you know, a, another part, a big part is wildlife protection, at least in the Galapagos. So uh, Quasar collaborates very closely with the Charles Darwin Foundation and the Galapagos Conservation Trust. Um, we donate cabins every year that are auctioned off and those funds, you know, help protect these wildlife. Um, the problem of invasive species is huge in Galapagos, you know, with all these cargo ships coming to bring provisions. They bring, you know, cockroaches, um, the normal housefly, which you would not consider an invasive species, is responsible for the near extinction of the mangrove finch. And people don't know that. And it's how difficult it is, you can imagine, to get rid of a housefly that is just <laughs> living everywhere. They lay eggs 
in, in the nest of the mangrove finch and the, the larvae actually enter the ear of the hatchlings. Aww. And That's so the, the hatchlings don't have a chance to make it. And so these sort of uh, initiatives we support that are not evident, you know, to the normal traveler, but through the Charles Darwin Foundation. And of course, we educate people about this on our trips. Um, and then the final thing is the communities, right? They're in these remote, wonderful destinations like Patagonia or the Galapagos. There are people living and thriving off of these of, of these places. But travel also is um, a big part of the problem, at least in Galapagos. You know, waste management is terrible in Galapagos. Um, there are there are problems too with um, just a growing population that the islands cannot sustain because there are lots of jobs and well-paying jobs. And so we work together with the communities to educate the kids. Um, we have the Galapagos Scouts project through which we empower and educate the children to become you know, the leaders of Galapagos for tomorrow. Um, we, we provide um, sponsorship for them to go to college in the mainland to really learn, become masters at what they do and hopefully you know come back to the galapagos and work there and be the ones that make the change yeah um, like ambassadors to protect their lands yeah exactly and it has to come from the locals you know they they love these places they're protecting their home but um they need to you know be educated and and have the resources to be able to do that so we do that both in galapagos and patagonia really working with the locals to make the destinations better I love that. And you know what? I'm going to share another one that I read on your website that hasn't been mentioned. And it and it resonated with me because for eight years, I worked at a restaurant who became the greenest restaurant in all of the USA. And what did that mean? We did more things because the restaurant industry is one of the largest contributors to waste in the world. So the more conscious you are about what you do to be sustainable when you're running a restaurant is a minimizes the impact that you, the negative impact that you make on the planet. So I noticed on your website that y'all do not use single use plastics, right? Yes. And so to anyone who doesn't know what that is, I'm just gonna give you an example. Yesterday I went to a restaurant and inside the straw, which is a single-use plastic, it was encased in a plastic. And so I had to remove the plastic to get to the plastic. That's two things that could have been avoided by using a more sustainable style straw, like a paper straw or something that breaks down. Um, so is that what the, single, the not using single-use plastics represent on your website, or am I wrong? Yeah, exactly. And straws is a great example. Um, we also have a, a production kitchen in the mainland. So a lot of the plastic is eliminated in the mainland where there are many options to recycle it. And the food comes packaged in a very different way that's friendly for the Galapagos, um, you know, to be able to use. It. And we, we partnered actually with the World Wildlife Fund on this food waste initiative. Um, and you couldn't imagine, Lydia, when they did the audit of our yachts many years ago, how much food was being wasted. And we normally think, you know, um, when when it it's a, a luxury operation, you know, there has to be excess, right? And so, you know, buffets that 
are endless and there's a lot of food being wasted and, and we really had to rethink that that part and um you know working with these very very talented chefs that work with the world wildlife fund we're actually repurposing the food that hasn't been touched for the crew members so that they don't feel like they're eating leftovers but repurpose in a way that is absolutely delicious um and and we're reusing all this food so actually the waste that we have in the form of food today is minimal and that was one of the biggest um problems for quasar not just because of the waste that we were producing but also the money we were throwing down the drain basically for food that wasn't consumed so today it's a much more efficient um, operation in that sense and it's incredible how much less waste is coming out of our ships every week that's wonderful. And I know like when you're chopping up like a carrot or something and you throw away the end or you have a little excess, I mean, even things like that, I'm sure your chefs are probably have like composting containers where they can put all that stuff and then they drop it off at port and somebody uses it to help enrich the soil or something, you know, like in, in somewhere, I don't know. I'm just wondering. Yeah. It's probably it's something exactly like that. We used to do something like that. <laughs> we do it. Yes, exactly. It's called Huerta Luna and they have an organic uh, farm and all of organic waste goes to them and they use it for, for composting and for the soil. So it's exactly what you say. And it's incredible. Like if you adopt this habit, which we highly encourage people, like when you travel with Quasar, you learn about all these things that are happening on board. Right. And many, many of these people, they come back at home and they're like, okay, you know, I'm Let's really going to keep re recycling seriously. Yeah. When you actually separate or, you know, the organic components from the non-organic and the recyclable from the non-recyclable, it's incredible how much, how little waste actually needs to go to like a landfill, right? Versus something that can be recycled or can be composted or whatever. It's incredible. So I highly encourage, you know, anybody listening here to, to give that a try and to research that a little bit more because, you know, it starts yeah. with one person, right? And, you know, we, we all can make a difference if we start. It does. And it takes people like you and me to get excited about sustainability because like you're talking about, it's a lot of extra work to sort your trash and do these things. So it takes that extra step. That's what we're talking about when you go the extra mile, instead of just dumping everything in a trash bag and then dumping it in some kind of a landfill, we at our, you know, greenest restaurant in the United States, we diverted 80% of our waste out of the uh, landfills and into other destinations. So it's really exciting. So I'm, you're, you're talking my language when you're talking <laughs> sustainability. I've been doing this for 15 years. So I love this um, aspect. I love the aspect of Quasar Expeditions focusing on the planet as part yeah. of their traveling um, experience. So thank you for sharing that. So do, do you think, I know your food, I just want to mention, like, I know the chefs are like top notch and you have um, really fine dining type meals. I saw in the pictures, am, am I correct? Yeah, with a key difference, at least, to our competitors in both destinations and both Galapagos and Patagonia is, you know, most of the people who travel with us, they have the money to go to a fine Italian restaurant, French restaurant, uh, anywhere in the world, right? 
and most of them actually have those great restaurants home. Experience so when you come right. to a place like Ecuador and the Galapagos, you don't want to have another version of a filet mignon, right? Well, maybe you do, but that's not what we offer. <laughs> um, we make it so that part of the journey that people are taking is also in the culinary sense, you know, that they're also taking a journey with the food, that they're trying new stuff, you know, they had never tried before. Ecuador has over 50 variety, varieties of potatoes, you know, just potatoes along all colors, sizes, textures. And so, you know, rethinking what a potato is and, and really understanding what the Andean potato is all about is part of the adventure. Exotic fruits, you know, fruits of all shapes and sizes and textures and tastes that you've never imagined. Fruit juices that are extraordinary, you know, that people have never tried and then they end up being their favorite. Um, that is what, you know, the, the dining experience with Quasar is all about. And of course, always, you know, thoughtfully sourced um, and um, just sustainable in every sense. So, you know, working with um, local food providers, not not buying, you know, tomatoes from the, the massive tomato producer, you know, in the mainland, but from the organic farm right there in Galapagos. So we're not only helping the community, but these are organic tomatoes that are grown there that help uh, the people there to, you know, make this a sort of like a sustainable economy too. Um, and in the end, you know, the taste of these tomatoes that are very far, at least in the looks from what you see in a supermarket. So they're not perfectly round and red, you know, visually appealing to, you know, what we think of a tomato, but um, they're ugly looking, but they taste a hundred times better. <laughs> right. And so don't that, judge a book by its cover. <laughs> that's what the the culinary experience with quasar is all about we want to immerse you in the destination we want you to really get a taste of what chilean or ecuadorian food is all about and that you know it's a journey through all the senses um and yeah. so food is very important to most people and we we try to represent and honor the culture the traditions and the country that you know people are visiting and the food that they eat on our trips you know, this sounds like a good time to just mention that y'all are very specific about tailoring and customizing the expedition to the traveler and not just a tourist. That you see every guest as the traveler's experience, right? Is there anything about that that we should mention before we move on to the guides? I want to talk a little bit about the relationship yeah. with the guides. Yeah. So in in that respect, you know the difference is immediately visible for guests the moment they pick up the phone and talk to our expedition designers you know it's not the regular questions like you know okay what dates and how many people are traveling but really it's like you know lydia what do you like to travel what has been the best adventure you've taken in your life you know what are your top few trips and what were the things you really liked okay so you really enjoy horseback riding for example let's get you in on a authentic hacienda experience before galapagos go horseback riding in the andes and then you know we go to galapagos to enjoy the magic of the islands and so being able to understand each person each family and treat everybody individually so that we create these tailor-made journeys that are life-changing you know that they hit on all 
the perfect spots, right? They, they, they're really customized for you and you're doing the things you enjoy. Um, and we also make sure to take you a little bit out of your comfort zone. We have found over the years that that is part of the recipe for life-changing experiences, you know? So people, we, we often get, you know, people who's like, oh, thanks, you know, I'll do all the activities in Galapagos, but I won't do the snorkeling because, you know, I'm not comfortable in the water. I'm afraid of snorkeling. And so to those people, we help them. We have special life vests for snorkeling and we pair them up so that their snorkeling buddy is a naturalist guide so that they feel super comfortable. And by day two and day three, it's their favorite activity. And they, on the re road. <laughs> they return home having experienced something new because we took them out of their comfort zone and because, you know, um, we gave them this opportunity to, to see the world in a different way. And so we don't let you just say, no, I don't want to do that. Um, uh, you know, unless of course there's a very, very unless you demand reason. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I want to say in, in that regard, that sounds like a good segue into the fact that y'all are not only providing like a, a travel style experience, you are actually offering a spiritual experience as well. I heard that on your video. And in, in that regard, being pushed a little bit past your comfort zone, but then the feeling that you achieved something that you were afraid of and you, you overcame it, you surpassed your expectations of what this trip could provide for you on an emotional, mental, and spiritual level, right? I mean, that's just a good example of being afraid of the water uh, snorkeling and then having a whole new experience with everything under the sea that you've never been able to achieve before this time. Exactly. And, you know, for some people, it's big steps like that. You know, uh, we have plenty of people coming to Galapagos who they've watched the movie Jaws many times and they're, they're terrified to see a shark, you know, while snorkeling. And seeing reef sharks in, in Galapagos while snorkeling to me is one of the most fascinating things you can see. There has never been a shark attack, you know, to a well, snorkeler in Galapagos. Well, I was going to say, aren't most sharks not attackers? Like, exactly. They're, they're scared they're, of you, right? Yeah, they're literally like two or three species that are a little bit more aggressive. aggressive you know, the, yeah. Like the tiger shark, the bull shark, or, or the and white the great shark. White. <laughs> Those do not exist, right, in the Galapagos. Oh, uh, really? Wow. Yeah, you you only have these smaller sharks that are a lot more docile, um, and they are they literally ignore you. And so seeing a shark and snorkeling like, right above it, you're trying is, to get to one. Come here, come yeah, back. <laughs> it's fantastic. And so, um, you know, overcoming that fear is it's one of these transformational moments from for most people. That's where the the spiritual change happens. But for most people, they they don't have that fear of snorkeling or maybe of sharks, but it's these little things, these little transformations, you know, maybe the thing we were talking about, about being a lot more responsible with, you know, waste. And so that's like, okay, I'm, I'm a better person by having taken this right. trip because we now know how to recycle or the fact that you engaged with a member of the community, either in the Andes or in Galapagos, and you became, you know, really good friends and you understood how they live and see their perspective and, Often these rural communities, at least in the Andes, you realize that happiness has nothing to do with money, um, which is often, you know, 
in the Western world, at least, yeah, we, yeah. we associate it, right? We need money to be happy. And then you, you visit these communities where the kids and the adults are extremely, extremely happy. And to our standards, they have nothing. Um, and, and it's those type of transformations, those little things that you see and do in the expeditions that in the end, you know, give way for these journeys that, that really change you on a spiritual level. Well, and the awe, I mean, let's look at the photos behind us, the awe inspiring, like this is our planet. This is such a gift for us to be able to see such amazing diversity in ecosystems and in structure and geological formations. And think about how many thousands and thousands of years this has been here way before we were even here inhabiting this. And it just gives you a new reverence and a new respect for the earth that we actually live on. And we can go see it with one of your tours. Exactly. Right? And, and, you know, things that you maybe saw in, in biology class or, you know, at some point during your education actually come to life in these destinations. In Patagonia, for example, right behind one of those peaks that's behind you, uh, they found the largest dinosaur in the world. and the fact that you can actually go to that place and you can see the excavations happening and you can see, you know, this uplifted ocean floor that's full of fossils and things like that. It just changes your perspective of what, you know, Earth used to look like. And then in Galapagos, uh, the islands are still forming today. Some are four million years old and some are, you know, four years old because the last eruption was just very, very recently. And so um, it's really seeing nature at its best at work and we're we're nature's guest in these places we really you can feel the power of nature where we're just you know tiny tiny visitors there and they can get they can get rid of us very quickly <laughs> of, of course the the um argument you had with your partner the night before suddenly becomes not important oh right? yeah when you realize <laughs> how amazing the the world really is and how we're said like you said we're just a small little blip on this experience with the planet that's why we need to be responsible to her and um let's see now we've been talking a lot about the galapagos i just wanted to mention you do these patagonia tours as well do you want to jump over to patagonia to patagonia yeah. a little bit real quick i mean i know i've seen jeeps and help us understand there's a lot, the, the Galapagos are mostly on foot. Would I assume that correctly? You're mostly hiking in the Galapagos? Yeah, it's the walks and you... hikes and the, the kayaking or the Zodiac rides and, of course, traveling by boat. But, in yeah, in Patagonia, it's actually quite different. Right. Um, we don't do the expedition cruising there. We do these overland safaris. Okay. Um, Quasar, you know, we're not just a cruising company. We offer the most uh, ideal means to explore the destination. And obviously these two national parks, Torres del Paine in Chile and Los Glaciares in Argentina, uh, they're inland, right? So you can't explore them on a boat. So the next best alternative is these intimate private or small group expeditions in these Jeep vehicles that were you know, built for this type of terrain. And we call them an overland safari because essentially you know, they're, it's like an African safari where you're going from point A to point B, admiring the wildlife, staying at different uh, places around the national park and just exploring these parks and the, you know, the wildlife and the amazing 
formations like the ones you see behind you um, every day. And that's what we do in Patagonia, having taken um, all of the experience that we had with Galapagos. So our Patagonia programs have only been around for 10 years, where Galapagos is close to 40. But all that experience that came from Galapagos into, you know, the quality of the guides, the type of transformational experiences that need to happen, the, the experience with the food that we talked about, all that, of course, is carried over. And so it's these equally um, amazing expeditions happening in Patagonia, but of course, a little bit different to accommodate to the setting and the, the places that we are exploring. But um, Patagonia, one thing to note is that most people consider it a destination, you know, for very active people, for hikers. And, you know, that couldn't be further from the truth today. Today, Patagonia is for absolutely everyone. You know, if you like photography, um, you can go on this trip without requiring much physical activity. There are navigations. If you're, you know, a hardcore hiker, of course, you know, that's, this is the Mecca, you know, to these amazing emblematic hikes all over the national parks. But you can also, you know, maybe do just one or two days of these more difficult or longer hikes. And then the rest of the day, just spend them at leisure, enjoying, you know, the properties, navigations, short walks. Um, and so, again, you know, Patagonia is absolutely for everyone. And I highly recommend it. It's equally as stunning as the Galapagos Islands with its own attraction, right? The the wildlife that you see in Galapagos is probably one of the main attractions in the islands or in Patagonia. It's more about these majestic landscapes and these these contrasts of of that you see only in the extremes of the earth. And so it is it's beautiful. You know, it's they literally bring tears to your eyes when you see some of the landscapes in Patagonia that you only thought, you know existed in dreams or that you had only seen in photos but those colors and the cloud formations and and just having these granite giants coming out of these electric blue lakes it's it's real in patagonia and you can see it on the quasar experience that's amazing um i just want to invite you because we you know spent 50 minutes talking about um the galapagos if you want to come back and do a separate conversation specifically about Patagonia, I would invite you to let us record one of those. So people who are specifically looking for Patagonia can hear all about that. I mean, is it is there enough to discuss just the Patagonia expeditions um, on a Oh, summer? yeah. Okay. I, I can talk that. for days on both if destinations. You, yeah. And, and just to that point, Lydia, yeah, the reason because Quasar started in the Galapagos, so that's where, you know, we've we focused, of course, more on this conversation on oh, that. But yeah. yes, there's. I'd be happy to come back and talk all about Patagonia because yeah. there's so much to see and do there. It's a fantastic place. Well, the reason is because regarding podcast and YouTube uh, videos, people search for specific yeah. low destinations. And so if we talk about the Galapagos and everybody who wants to know about visiting the Galapagos, they'll be researching that. And then I don't want them to miss out on learning about Patagonia, but nobody wants to sit on this podcast for another 20 minutes talking <laughs> about that. So I want to invite you to come back and re-record. So when we Let's wrap this up, we can decide if you have time Right now we can jump on a separate video. So let, let's just finish up at the 
Galapagos and see if there's anything that I didn't ask you that we think the listeners need to know before we end the Galapagos conversation. You briefly brought this up, the guides. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the special lady, I would say, opportunity to connect with these guides oh, in yeah. the Galapagos. And, Let's talk about that. Yeah. And a good guide is the difference between, you know, an okay or a good experience in Galapagos and the trip of a lifetime. These, as many of our guests say, you know, the guides make the animals and the destination come to life. These are extremely passionate locals. And that's very important to note that uh, in Galapagos, Quasar works with local guides who are showing you their home, who are extremely talented in the sense, you know, that they do this every week. And for them, you know, when they're showing you uh, a sea lion or an orca or whatever, it is like their first time. People cannot perceive the difference. They're like, I, they, they literally <laughs> say, we, I can't understand how they are so excited or as excited as we are, assuming, you know, that they see this every week or, you know, not every week, but um, they, they just see it a lot of it. And so that's, it's a very special group of people who can truly be magnificent naturalist guides and Quasar thanks to the almost 40 years in Galapagos, is proud to say, you know, that we work with the best guides in the islands. Quasar right. started the first school of guides in Galapagos. So many of the guides that you actually see today working for, you know, competitors, they actually came from the Quasar school guide. And so we, we formed these people um, and we, you know, they, they have these natural talents that are complemented with a great education uh, from the experts that Quasars bring. And so the the guides just make a real difference. They're extremely friendly. They're funny. Uh, they're very professional. Always have safety as their number one priority. And they show you a side of Galapagos and of Patagonia that few people get to see because they have that expertise. You know, they just one example is, you know, there's a, a snorkeling in Tagus Cove, um, and one of our guide knows exactly where the seahorses hang out. And you could <laughs> you could be snorkeling in front of the coral and have the seahorse in your face and you would not see these guys camouflage perfectly. And so he knows where they live and they take you to see a seahorse, <laughs> which many of us will never see in real life, maybe only in an aquarium. And so it's these little details that happen all the time, every day in every activity that stack up for these amazing experiences and the guides are a huge, huge part of that. You know, Fernando, I believe that we're all connected. We're connected to the plants. We're connected to the animals as humans. We are all connected by a common energy. And I believe that when you have reverence towards the animals, they know it. And so those seahorses probably know this guide and know that they respect and you know revere the animals and so they even probably show up for the guide <laughs> where maybe they won't show up for another, another one and um i just wanted to say that it just reminds me of you know the best of the best and so you know the greatest of all time those are the guides that want to work with quasar because you've been around for 40 years i mean who wouldn't want to be working for the best of the best. So I can only imagine what an experience at 
a quasar expedition is like. And it sounds like a dream. Sounds like an amazing experience. So do you want to say anything before we say goodbye? Uh, Well, just, you know, I highly encourage anybody, even if it's not with Quasar, go to these destinations. You know, there's a reason why we're there. Um, And, you know, not just because Quasar is there. I think you should see Galapagos and Patagonia. These are life-changing places. These are places that will change your perspective of our natural world. It'll make you, I think travel makes people better people. Um, They open you to to scenario situations and and just conditions in general that open your mind and and Galapagos and Patagonia are certainly um, two of those destinations. Um, I highly encourage you to make enough time to visit and I highly encourage you to do the research so that you see these destinations right because there's nothing that I hate more than when I go to a destination and I see people just doing it all the wrong, you know, the wrong way. They're taking the wrong tour. They're seeing things the wrong way. They're taking the tourist trap tours or the touristy approach. And, you know, as our motto says, you know, because you're an adventurer, not a tourist, we want you to explore these destinations as adventurers. And there's a very specific recipe that you have to follow for these life-changing experiences in both destinations. And, you know, Quasar and a few other companies in each of these destinations have that experience. And so doing the research, picking the right company will make all the difference between how wonderful your trip could be and how these memories just are going to live with you for the rest of your life. That's right. Ask the right questions. So I know for people to get started, they want to go to quasarex.com. That's Q-U-A-S-A-R-E-X.com. And um, are y'all on social? Can anyone start following you in social settings, you know, social media? Yes, uh, you can quasarex as well on um, Instagram. On Facebook, it's Quasar Expeditions. Uh, but if you just are for Quasar Expeditions, both in Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, we're on all those platforms. That's where we share a lot of visual content, all our videos, all, all our specials. Uh, so yes, by all means, you know anybody listening, start following us on social um, and just browse around our website, watch our videos, and we'd be very happy to welcome you in one of our, our life-changing adventures. Sorry about that. Wow. <laughs> that like sounds a like a life-saving adventure. So um, sounds good. So you're definitely on my bucket list now. And I can't wait to, you know, find out more about when I'm going to put y'all on my bucket list. <laughs> so I have well, you're a- more than welcome, Lydia. Thank you. Well, we encourage everyone to um, go check it out and to add Ecuador, the Galapagos, or even Patagonia on your um, trips of a lifetime list of where you want to go and how you want to see it. So thank you so much, Fernando, for your time today and sharing all your wonderful stories. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Lydia. Really enjoyed this. Yes, we will see you soon. Thank you. you Bye-bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed the show today. And if you'd like to be a guest on the Global Travel Junkie podcast and YouTube channel, reach out to us at our Contact Us form at globaltraveljunkie.com. We hope to see you out traveling. Adios. Ciao.
Au revoir.